As some of you know, we've been in a series called On Purpose. We've been talking about the lies that we believe uh, about our potential. And so this week, we're going to talk about obstacles. Obstacles, kind of an ugly word, isn't it? You say it with me? Obstacles. It's just kind of an ugly sounding word. I hate things in my way. I don't know what it is about um, nighttime for me, but if I go anywhere in our house and the lights are off, I'm going to stub my toe. It's like my wife thinks I have this weird sonar. She'll like hear me get up and then she'll hear, you know, I'm like trying to be quiet and then she'll hear, I don't know what it is. And I th- I'm like, I get so mad because stuff's in my way. Who left the shoes? Who left the toy? Who, my wife is pointing at me. You did. <laughs> if you live in Austin, uh, when you think about obstacles, you immediately think of traffic. You think of all the construction that's going on around here. I mean, it's everywhere, like obstacles everywhere. Trying to get around them is crazy. People do all kinds of crazy stuff getting around obstacles. The motorcycle riders in our city, the little scooter riders, I mean, they have it made. They can just get around them. But there's, in Austin, I feel like there's a traffic psychosis. Everybody's like stressed out about traffic. Have you noticed this? I don't know. It's like, uh, it's not that, it's not that a traffic is that bad. If you go to LA, it's worse. If you go to other places where people, you know, they come here, it's not that bad. You know, it's just like, it's, but, but for people in Austin, it's like, no, I can't get anywhere. And make no mistake, I've been on Mopac, breathing in the fumes. You know, it's like, it's like you're just sitting there. But, but there's a traffic psychosis and people get bent out of shape. Like they're like, what is wrong with you? You know, and, and there, <laughs> there's like all kinds of ways in which we express that to them. A lot of people in Austin seem to have this one finger wave down. I don't know what that is, but. And I, I, I don't know what it is with the left hand lane. The left hand lane, right? Left hand lane is for. Right? People don't get this either. And, and I, I, I was. I was thinking about my wife because she has this irritation with people who just, you know, are in and out of everything and cutting you off and all that kind of thing. And, <laughs> and she, her, her, big, her big move, right, her big move when she's upset is this. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm like, you showed them, babe. <laughs> yeah, you really hurt them. That really did it. <laughs> I'm sure they're going to stop doing that now. That's the worst she can do. She's so sweet. Um, obstacles in our way. When, we ta- when we've been talking about this idea, we've been centering on this passage in Judges 6, and it's this story of Gideon. And Gideon is this, this little guy from this very small tribe, and he's, we find him hiding out because the Midianites, which is a rival people group, are coming and kind of dominating and taking all their stuff and kind of destroying all the the land around them. And and so Israel is oppressed, and and they're calling out to God for help. We pick up the story in verse 11 of Judges 6. It says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer, 
Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Mighty hero. Each week we've been talking about this and focused on that phrase, mighty hero. Because there is something inside of every one of us that wants to be the hero. Something inside of us that wants to save the day. And I think that desire is so much more than just childish imagination. It, it's not just this idea that we, we somehow want to be great. It's, it's a bigger idea than that. It's God has infused purpose. He's infused within us something that is great and grand. It is a purpose that he's put inside of us. Jude verse 20 says this. It says, but ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some have compassion, making a difference and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Again, notice these words, this, this little list of phrases, having compassion, making a difference, saving with fear, pulling them out of the fire. All those are l descriptions of heroes. All those are descriptions of people that, that are doing something that God has called them to do. It's true, you were created for something amazing. But don't hear that as famous. I'm not saying that God's called you to be famous. I'm of the opinion, as your pastor, that there are two things that people cannot handle. One is fame. This, this thing that we're indoctrinated in in our, um, in our culture, everybody's trying to become famous because they think this is their ticket, this is the solution, this feeds their, their ego. Fame is something that humans cannot handle. Everywhere you look where people get too famous, it crushes them. Did you know that the Bible says that God is the only one who can handle the glory of worldwide fame? The glory of God. It's heavy. It's weighty. And when people try to take glory for themselves, when they try to get famous, it crushes them. And so we're not talking about being famous. We're not talking about being impressive to multiplied millions. We're talking about something that God put in you that he wants to come out, a purpose that is special, that is powerful, that is possibly hidden and needs to come alive. And when you discover your purpose that God's given you, that's the moment your life starts to take on heroic qualities. So what God is doing in Judges 6 is he's calling Gideon. He's saying, hey, I have something I want you to do, and I've called you a mighty hero, and you don't know what's coming for you. You don't know that you're going to deliver your people, but I have something. I've chosen you, and I've chosen you on purpose. I've chosen you because you are from the smallest tribe. I've chosen you because you are afraid. And the next few, several verses are all about Gideon making deals with God <laughs> to make sure that he's heard clearly because he's so afraid of it. But listen, God has a purpose that's just right for you. I, can't, I think we can all identify with this, with Gideon, with feeling like we might not measure up, feeling like we're, we're not sure of what God wants us to do. 
But listen, the truth is he's loaded it in your heart like an operating system. You think about Apple just came out with a new operating system, OS 11, right? Super exciting? No. Exactly. What happens when you download the new operating system? I'm always a little hesitant, but I'm uh, technologically challenged. My whole team makes fun of me. Everything I do, it's, it's like it doesn't quite work right the first time. But when I download, I'm always a little hesitant because what happens? It looks familiar, but it's different. It's kind of like it was, only there's something else going on. And so what it requires is an exploration of the download. It requires, the problem is we have to further explore what is going on in this download. That's what God calls you and I to do with our purpose. As I've said a few weeks ago, we are not just tourers, tourists, we are explorers. We're not just visiting a museum, we are archaeologists and we're finding, we're digging down and we're asking God, what has he put inside of us? And so we have to explore it. We have to, we have to let, it, let it come alive to us in a process. The same is true for you and for your purpose. You don't know everything about how it works. You might, you, you might kind of recognize it, you like have a suspicion, but you've got to explore it. So we're going to talk about obstacles to exploring that, the, the obstacles keeping you from seeing what God has given you and put his purpose within you. So number one, number one, the number one obstacle is refusing to do anything until you have everything figured out. <laughs> refusing to do anything until you have everything figured out. M many of you are like this. I'm like this. Like I want the plan. If God will just give me the plan, I'm a great plan worker. This whole thing about, you know, faith and all that, I'm not so good at that. But I, but I do believe that if he'd show me the plan, I could just work it. You know what the problem with that is? I don't rely on him then. Like, I want the lighthouse version of the plan. Like, get, let, me see the, let me see miles and miles ahead with this huge lighthouse so I can avoid the rocks and I can go the right direction. But instead, Jesus comes to me and he hands me a, a flashlight and says, just follow me. And he lets me shine the light on Jesus' steps. What a bummer. God seems to work through what we might call progressive revelation. Progressive revelation. It doesn't just all come to you at once. Progressive revelation means that God will show you as much as you need to know. Yes, you and I are on a need-to-know basis with God. What you need to know because he reveals things when they become necessary. He reveals additional things to our lives. Do you, you know the name Corey Ten Boom? Okay, some of you know that name. Some of you don't. Corey Ten Boom was an incredible woman who experienced uh, World War II. Her family saved dozens and dozens of Jewish people during World War II in Amsterdam. And I remember reading her book when I was a kid about this story. And I, they made a movie out of it. Uh, the, both of them are called The Hiding Place. You, I highly recommend it. It's a great book. It's a great story. Corey in the book has a conversation with her dad when she was a young girl and she was worried about death and losing her father and her dad said this to her. He said, Corey, when you and I go to Amsterdam, when do I give you the ticket? 
Why, just before we get on the train, Corey replied. Exactly. And our wise Father in heaven knows we're going to need things too. Don't run out ahead of him. When the time of need comes, you will look into your heart and find the strength you need just in time. When you stop to think about this and you stop being mad about it, (laughs) it really makes sense. If God showed you the entire scope of everything that he wants you to do, Number one, you'd probably freak out. First, you'd freak out and you'd think, oh, I, that's impossible. I don't think I can do that at all. Right? But secondly, you'd start to be scared of the process. You would, you would, you would doubt the journey. Or, or, or something worse would happen. You'd start to get so full of yourself because you're so excited about what you're going to do. Think about how Jesus handled this with his disciples. Matthew 4, 18 through 22. He says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said. Everybody say that together. Come follow me. That's what Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So check this out. Jesus essentially gives this giant overview and just simply says, hey, follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. That's the only clarifying idea he gives them. And so they certainly knew that he was an impressive person. They certainly knew that he was a rabbi that was, was likely worth following. He, they certainly understood that he was choosing them, and that was wonderful. But notice, Jesus didn't tell Peter, James, and John, or any of the rest, that he was taking them from their fishing routes and their simple jobs and chores to go build the Christian church and literally change the course of human history around the world. He didn't say that. Jesus did not explain to them that he was preparing them to scatter throughout the nation, throughout the continent, and other nations of the world, that they would challenge powerful and hostile rulers. He didn't tell them that they would motivate people to live completely different lives. Jesus also conveniently left out the fact that they would be tortured. That they would give up their lives for him and his kingdom cause. Because I want you to remember, John was boiled in oil and then exiled on the island of Patmos. Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross. James was martyred, Philip was imprisoned and crucified, Nathaniel was cruelly beaten and crucified upside down, Stephen was stoned to death, Thomas was impaled by by a spear, Matthew was killed with a pickaxe, Thaddeus and Simon were crucified, James the less was beaten and stoned. (laughs) So be careful, right? If Jesus would explain all that at the beginning, do you think these guys would have gone along for the ride? If, it, if you explain that to you and me, I don't know if I would have gone. Instead, what did Jesus do, though? He partnered with them and taught them. 
getting them to fulfill their purpose a little bit at a time, little by little, gave them pieces for them to do. And on the way, they began to turn the world upside down. Along the way, they gained strength and devotion and power to handle what was coming. Listen, it may scare you to think that you might have to give your life for Christ someday. But what you're not calculating is the incredible strength and power and love and grace and mercy that he shows people who are under tremendous duress for their faith. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Most people want the strength and power of God without any of the other stuff. God wants you to succeed. Never doubt that. And he's willing to lead you, but only one step at a time. If you're going to do this, you're going to have to settle this issue. You're not going to be able to, to piece all, all the pieces together. You're not going to be able to see the puzzle, you know, before it's all put together. Or you're not going to be able to understand where all the resources are going to come from, all the things you're going to need. Remember that the life God has called you to is a life of faith. And an, an, another obstacle uh, that, that we've that we have to look at is number two, trying to fulfill your purpose in your own strength. It's interesting because um, there's so much that I want our church to accomplish. Um, You know, most of you know we have a vision to do 10 churches over the next 10 years here in Austin. We want to plant them. We want them to be part of our congregations that meet here in Austin. We want to work together. We want to strategize for the sake of the gospel. We want to share resources. We want to work with each other in collaboration for every area of the city because Austin is an eclectic city and there's different pockets of people all over the place and we've got to plant the gospel in those communities. That vision, I'm telling you, I don't know how it's all going to unfold. (laughs) And, and, and so like, like number one on our list here, the number one obstacle is I don't want to start until I figure everything out. No, I, I, the vision is out there. Do you know that we did the same thing with d- the Dream Center? Uh, we taught on this, on this idea of getting outside of our church and making sure that we are engaged with people who are in trouble, who are suffering, who are impoverished, or who are, are uh, marginalized by our culture. And it is our responsibility as Christians to get out there. And we started talking about that in the end of the series. I said, and we're going to do a Dream Center. And then a bunch of you are like, "Ooh, Dream Center, where's the building? Oh, we get it. We got a building. What's it? I don't know where the I don't know what the building's going to be. I'm not sure how it's going to work. I'm not sure where it's going to be located in our city, but I know that God has called us to do something. And so so we've got to do it one little step at a time. And we've got to make sure we're taking care of people first and God'll give us a place to take care of them. Does that make sense? Did you know there's 30 organizations that we currently are partnering with at one chapel that you can get involved in the city with stuff that's going on? These are people who actually go to church here and they're connected to these organizations. They're, they're, they're one chapelonians. <laughs> I love that name. They're, they're one chapel people and they're part of this outreach, this for the one outreach 
Listen, we got we to gotta do it a little bit at a time, one step at a time as a church, and God will reveal where we're going to help people get free of addictions. He's going to reveal how we help people break bondages in their lives. He's going to reveal opportunities. I'm telling you, it's a life of faith we're after. But the problem is, sometimes we think we can do it in our own strength. And that's why number two is so significant. Zechariah 8.6 says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. All this may seem impossible to you now. A small and discouraged remnant of God's people is how he was describing them. But do you think is, this is impossible for me, the Lord Almighty? That's a rhetorical question, by the way, from God. The answer is obvious. No, it's not impossible. The reason why we get overwhelmed is because we underestimate the power of God working through us to accomplish his will. The reason we try to do things in our own strength is because we're not convinced God's going to fill in the, the gap. I want you to think about this phrase, and if there's nothing else you hear from me today that you take home, I want you to take this home. I want you to develop a miracle space in your life. I want our church to have a miracle space that we reserve for God to do stuff that we're not good enough at. I want to reserve a miracle space where I don't try to go ahead of God but in my own strength, but he does something in his power that's way beyond my capacity to accomplish. Here's what miracle space is. It's the gap between what we can accomplish in our own strength and ability and what can happen when we allow God to work with us and through us. What can happen when we allow God to work with us and through us? But we have a problem. We live in a culture of, that acts based solely on what's tangible. Most of us solely live in the realm of what is tangible. Most of us are reluctant to take a step out there and believe that God will fill the gap. But John 5, 1, here's what it says. It says, afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days, and inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? <laughs> what a question. Would you like to get well? <laughs> well, yes, Jesus, I'd like to. But instead, he, he gives a, an excuse. He says, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone always, else always gets there ahead of me. And Jesus told him, Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now, I want you to think about this story because this is incredible. Every day for almost 40 years, this guy's been dependent on other people to help him. 13,870 days of powerlessness and difficult living. And Jesus walks through that courtyard, and the guy's laying there like always, like he always is, but Jesus says something to him that day that no one else had ever said to him. Jesus looks at the guy and says, pick up your mat and walk. Now think about this. Think about this. Imagine what that moment must have been like for this guy. This crippled man, Jesus told him to do more than that man ever believed he was able to do. Do you get that? He, Jesus said, do something that you're, you, you've never been able to do. In reality, more than that, he was, he was actually not able. He was literally not able to do these things before Jesus said it. I think this mixture of faith 
in the miracle work of God, like this moment when you decide, I'm gonna believe Jesus' words and you leave space for Jesus to do something beyond your capacity, beyond your own ability. That's what happened to this man. Talking about this miracle space that you're gonna reserve in your life, that you're gonna be willing to trust him instead of functioning in your own strength and your own ability to try to get stuff done. And there is a balancing act here for sure. There's stewardship issues and there's trust and faith and it's on a kind of along this spectrum. But I want us to think about as a church, a, a, a people of God, a community that is willing to leave space for God. Space for him to do something awesome, miraculous, beyond what we can figure out. But we all have this desire. We all want to be in control. We all want to do what we can manage. We all want to just do things that we know we can accomplish. We, we don't want to fail. We don't want to be embarrassed, and so it becomes an obstacle. One that you and I have to break through. We have to overcome it. How do you do that? Start making room. Number three, third obstacle is the criticism of others. The criticism of others. The reality is, as you step into your purpose, some people are going to be critical of you. Some people are going to criticize you. They'll be jealous. They'll be angry. They'll, be, they'll misunderstand. They'll question your motives. Other people are just crazy people. <laughs> other, other people are competitive people, and they, just, they, they don't want you to take the spotlight from them. And you have to settle it. You're going to face some criticism. I was, I was reading about Matthew Barnett. Matthew Barnett happens to be the original Dream Center creator in Los Angeles, California. You can go out there and they're doing so much great stuff in, in that city and, and God put him there. But he grew up in a pastor's home. And Matthew Barnett had a famous dad who was a, who was a pastor and, and, and he had a huge church. And so it was always in, in Matthew's heart to have a dream to become a pastor, or at least a preacher. And so he got ready for his first message. He tells this story about getting ready for his first message. He studies like hours and hours. He puts all this stuff together. He's got it all ready to go, and he prepares like 45 minutes worth of material. And he gets up there on his very first time. I mean, this is going to be the moment. Everybody's going to see it. It's going to be like the, the, the baptism of Jesus in Matthew's mind, right? It's like uh, everybody's going to see I have the gift. Here I am. Here's what's going to happen. He goes through 45 minutes of material in five minutes. He speeds through it and talks so fast nobody can understand him. He goes through this thing and he just kind of, he sits down and he feels really bad. Um, he walks through the hallway later and hears some of the other pastors talking about him through an open door that they don't know he's there. And they start talking about him. They're like, man, poor kid. Must be really hard to preach when you don't have the calling. He really, he, this crushes him. He starts to, he starts to cry. He, he goes home. He, he, his grandma happens to be home. She notices she's been there at the service. She knows what's going on. And she, she asks him what's, what's happening. He said, I just, it was terrible. It was awful. I don't know. I heard these guys talking. And she's like, what are you talking about? You were awesome. You were amazing. God's in you. He's got a purpose for you. <laughs> so he says, thank God for lying grandmas.
He kind of gets his, his, himself together. He, 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 he keeps moving through life and ministry. He tells this story of just be, going through the ups and downs and, and then this launch to, to plant this dream center in L.A. And then just the critics come out like crazy because he's doing something pretty profound, something unique, something different. And their critics are all over him. They're saying, you're too evangelical. You're not doing it right. You need to follow more psychological uh, treatments for these people. And then, and then the other side is like, no, you're not evangelical enough. You need to give them more of God. And then he's, he's just criticized in every way. And one day, during an exceptionally challenging season where he was just under the criticism of people, he gets this huge envelope in the mail. And it's, it's, a, it's a surprise envelope, and he's like, oh, this is interesting. And he opens it up, and it's some kind of, it's some kind of certificate. And he thinks, I, I think I won something. But then he looks at the heading, and it says this. I'm going to read it. Congratulations to the world's worst pastor. Somebody had gone through the trouble to create a certificate for him to make the case, and then underneath it all was the reasons why he's such a bad pastor. Yeah, it's crazy. I know. People are mean. Yeah, so, so there's a thing. People, don't ever be mean like that. Don't, 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 don't do that to people. Don't, don't criticize. Don't be the critic. Be the cheerleader. But all of us will be criticized. All of us will be criticized. And the question really is, you've got to ask yourself this important question. Who are you doing this for? Are you doing it for yourself? Are you doing it for other people? Who are you doing this for? Matthew went through this really challenging season before he became Matthew. Um, Matthew, the pastor of the LA Dream Center. Matthew Barnett, the incredible Dream Center director and pastor, right? He went through all this other stuff. I think we're going to face challenges. Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. This is why I tell all of you in counseling, look, God's purpose can function and come out of you no matter what your career path is, no matter what your job is, you can see God do stuff even though you work for who you think is an idiot. Or if you just feel like you're in the wrong place, you can work for God. Whatever your job is, whatever your role is, whatever you're doing, you work for the Lord and not for men. You serve him, and then God does something because you're deciding, I'm going to make miracle space for you, God, because I'm going to serve you in this job. I'm not going to mistreat my boss. I'm not going to work. I'm not going to be lazy. I'm not, I'm not going to work in a, in a slipshod manner. I'm going I'm to apply myself because you demand it from me, and I'm going to serve you with everything I'm doing. And so you do not, you don't actually have to answer your critics. You have to answer the one who gave you the purpose. You have to answer the one. If you're, if you're going to live your life so that people pat you on the back, so that people will affirm you and tell you how awesome you are, so that you can feel warm and fuzzy all over, eventually you're going to get derailed because all that stuff just goes away. It, it becomes meaningless. Proverbs twenty nine twenty five says, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. 
You can please some of the people some of the time, but you can never please all the people all the time. Finally, number four, your own character. I bet all of us can think of a person who is no longer in the spotlight or doing what they did because they made some decisions that totally derailed their purpose. Politicians, executives, actors, sports heroes, pastors, even friends. Um, Throughout the scriptures, we see this transpire where people have a purpose, but their character is not strong enough to withstand or carry the purpose God wants them to have. And God is consistently, lovingly, encouraging them and walking with them through difficulty and and struggle to build their character. They have to persevere. We see it. The Apostle Paul describes it in Romans 5 as perseverance that produces character and character that produces hope. And hope will never let us be ashamed. And I think we have to understand that that what God wants for us is to be strong enough on the inside to withstand his desires for us, his purpose in, in what he's given us to do. Isaiah 30, 21, it says this, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Walk in it. Ephesians 4.18 says they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Sometimes our hearts can get hardened, but God wants to soften them today. He wants to give you his purpose. He wants to restore his purpose for you. Oh, how could it even happen? It's impossible. I've screwed it all up. It's terrible. My character is never going to match what I think God wants me to do. Listen. Make a miracle space for God. Decide that you're willing to allow him to do something beyond what you could do. That's his desire. Psalm 19, 14, this is what we need to pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's not just what people can see on the outside. It's what goes on on the inside that matters. We want the outside to be pure, but we, want, we need the inside to be pure. It is Jesus who led his disciples and us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He wants to do that today. Close your eyes. Bow your head. I believe God is speaking to you about obstacles. He's speaking to you about obstacles you've placed in the way. He's speaking to you about obstacles that he wants out of the way so that he can establish his purpose and so that he can reestablish and restore his purpose for you. And we're going to come to the Lord's table because the Lord's table is the place where you can see what was dead live again. The table of the Lord Jesus Christ is where we come to see that the brokenness of the Savior, the suffering of the Savior, begins to provide the healing of our own hearts and our own history. We come to the Lord's table because the cup represents the blood of Jesus that was spilled for you and me that washes away our failures, our our mistakes, our foolishness when we come to him. 
I want you to come to this table and I want you to receive the nourishment that you need, the strength, the sustenance that you need to accomplish the purpose God wants to give you. Remove the obstacles. Take steps of faith toward Him and you will begin to see what God wants to do with you.